1: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, Bridget McGowan here. Welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have with me Rob Durant. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Bridget at your core, you are a teacher. I used to teach as well. How did teaching play a role in you being a professional speaker?
0: Well, it's interesting that you should ask that because I I believe that uh, public speaking is really just an offshoot of teaching for me. As I said, at, at my core, I'm a teacher at heart. So I love working with people to help them Understand a new concept. As a teacher, I've had to very quickly recognize that the message I'm trying to convey, the lesson I'm trying to teach, is being received or is not being received, and I have to adapt on the fly. Similarly, standing in front of an audience of 550 or 5,000, I've had to do the same. And how can you tell whether? 5,000 people or not are getting your message, believe me, you can feel the energy in the room. You can read the audience and you can tell. And that's what teaching prepared me for was that adaptability and altering, not the message, but the delivery so that I was impactful for the audience, a a quick anecdote, if I can, when I first got into uh, teaching, teaching at a public school. Now my dad has been a teacher in public school for over 50 years, even in his retirement, he's still teaching at a local community college. But he he said to me, he gave me two pieces of advice and one of them comes to mind here. Uh, And what he said to me was, uh, you know, Rob, I contend that if no learning took place, then no teaching did either. And that really cut me to the quick. That has really impacted every lesson I deliver. Because I can no longer blame my students. I can no longer blame my audience. If they didn't get it, well, they didn't get it coming in. If they still didn't get it, then I didn't do my job. And I take a lot of pride in being able to do my job. I want to be able to deliver. So the, the teaching to public speaking transition, for me, it was one and the same. When I stand on stage, my goal is to help teach you something you did not otherwise know.
1: We're on the same page with that. I got my start teaching. I started teaching in 2002, and that was directly connected to the professional speaking piece because I was attending conferences trying to understand this idea of teaching and what does it mean to be an effective educator, and then I started presenting at these conferences and so on and so forth, and so it just kind of all came full circle, but at the front of that room, you were delivering a presentation. I think about a phrase I heard a long time ago and I absolutely love it. It came back to me when you were talking about what your dad shared with you. And the phrase was, talking is not teaching. Just because you're up there and you're telling them information, it does not mean they're learning it. And like your dad said, if they're not learning, then you weren't teaching. Okay. I, I, and, I, and I think that takes some pressure off of people when it comes to public speaking. Don't look at it as public speaking. Look at it as an opportunity to teach someone something.
0: And, and to build on that, you're only going to be invited to teach someone something if you know that's something that you're being invited to speak. So you are speaking in public Yes, you're a public speaker, but you are speaking in public because you are seen as an authority on the topic you've been invited to speak about. You know it better than your audience. That reminds me of the second thing that he taught me. Rob, you don't need to know the whole textbook. You just have to stay one page ahead of the students. (laughs) Yes, That's the same for the audience. I don't need to know everything. I just need to share with them a little bit of something so that they can walk away and go, aha, I've learned something. Or let's say that you're speaking in front of an audience who is a highly accomplished like yourself. They are all professionals. And frankly, while you're there to teach them about a topic, you've taught them nothing new. There's still value in that because if you can assure them that what you are teaching is what they know and believe, they're often the best audience to be in front of. Because to be in front of a friendly audience like that is really energizing. Uh, I know a lot of people are afraid of being in front of an audience. But knowing that you are there to just help them get a little bit better at something, a little bit better at an idea, and knowing that they can't eat you, it, it's okay to, to be <laughs> up there and, and fumble through it. And, and, you know, it's that authenticity that you bring to the stage that they want to get to to know better. They want to lean in and, and learn from somebody that is just there to help to teach
1: you're not there to make experts out of them in 60 minutes it's yeah. virtually impossible
0: exactly <laughs> and if they're already experts all you're there to do is reinforce what they believed and that there's value to that too
1: absolutely absolutely again rob durant is a teacher at his core and while he could help one customer a t- at a time as a sales rep, he saw his impact scale as he helped others do the same. And eventually, he transitioned into leadership, then training, now sales enablement. The startup world said, "You know, hey Rob, we want you to help our sales team get from A to Z. Not only do we want, uh, not only do we not have the roads built, we haven't even drawn the map." So Rob took that and ran with it as the first sales enablement hire at several startups. He's guided them through hyper growth and built unicorns. And now he does this through his own company, Flywheel Results. At Flywheel Results, what kind of speaking do you find yourself doing? Are you doing trainings? Are you doing workshops? What do you do in the speaking world at Flywheel Results? All of the above. Uh, Flywheel
0: Results is uh, a great vehicle for me to connect with people. Um, One of the primary things that I teach through Flywheel Results is social enablement. Social enablement is the strategic and tactical process of individuals and organizations leveraging social media to drive more conversations and ultimately, drive more revenue. With social enablement, I'm helping people understand what Dale Carnegie taught us 85 years ago. Dale Carnegie wrote a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it it almost seems kind of trite today when you put that title into today's vernacular. It, it, It seems forced. But what he was really teaching was the power of networking to build your sales program. What we do is we teach people the power of networking on social platforms. People in my generation are pretty good at networking in person, but not necessarily so savvy when it comes to social platforms. People in my children's generation are great, at the social platforms, but they can't hold a phone call with anyone, let alone a conversation or or networking. So we're bridging that gap there. And what I've been able to do through Flywheel Results is of course the teaching and training. Um, I've had opportunities to uh, do speaking events for industry related um, events. I've also had the opportunity because it's all about being social. I've hosted a few different uh, live broadcasts. We are uh, running the digital download, which is LinkedIn lives, longest running weekly business talk show. And we just got picked up for global syndication. So we're going to be broadcast on radio stations as well with that. That, And all of those other opportunities are fantastic ways to get out there and speak publicly. And here's the great part about it, Bridget. Nobody gave me permission to do it. I didn't have to ask. I didn't have to wait to be invited. I saw an opportunity and said, let me try this. I saw a few other opportunities and they failed. And I learned more from those than I've ever learned from the things that uh, I've accomplished. But if you're thinking about public speaking and and you say, well, where does one get started? I I don't have a a speaking reel. I, I haven't been speaking, so I don't get invited to speak. Create your own space. Do it yourself. Fumble through it, make your mistakes, and then build off of that. So that's what I've been able to do all through my my company, Flywheel Results.
1: You indicated that you've uh, you've done speaking at industry-related events. What are some of your favorite topics to speak on?
0: I love talking about um, building startups from scratch, especially that sales enablement role, that first sales enablement hire. Uh, The industry vernacular these days refers to it more as revenue enablement. I couldn't care what you call it. You can call me Ray, you can call me Jay. (laughs) Uh, But what I love is that uh, we need to get from A to Z. We don't have the roads built. We don't have the map. I love the green field ahead of us. The great part about working with startup organizations is very rarely do you go into an organization and hear, well, that's not how we do things here. I spent many a year in corporate America. I worked for Disney for almost uh, a decade. I worked for Verizon for over a decade. And on more than one occasion, I, I would come up with this idea and hear. No, that's not how we do things here. You don't get that with the the startup world. And you don't get that when you're building something from scratch. And I think as I'm saying this out loud, that parallels with the whole go out and and start your own broadcast. You know, you've got that green field ahead of you and, and all these things to learn.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I love that you don't hear that. It gives you kind of a blank slate almost or uh, a lot of breathing room, if you will, to just get in there and really be creative. What is one of your greatest challenges in speaking that you've had to overcome?
0: I get incredibly nervous before any speaking even on the events that i'm hosting weekly but what i realized was that's a good thing as long as you don't get it to the point where it's debilitating where it prevents you from performing and it shouldn't but i only want to work with speakers who are a little bit nervous before they speak, with teachers who are a little bit nervous before they teach. Because, and I tell others this, when when they share with me, they're a little bit nervous. Do you know what that means when you're nervous? It means you care. Right. And I only wanna work with people who care. If I got up and I wasn't nervous, if I got up and I didn't care,
1: well then why should my audience care? Why should my students care? That's a really good point. If you're getting up there and you're not invested, you're not focused, you're not really intent on making this time well spent and bringing value, then why should the audience value what you have to bring to them? I, I mean, it's it's a cyclical to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And to just expand upon that a little bit more and what I Teach when I'm teaching sales. Yeah, your message has to be all about them. Even if you're selling something, even if you know part of your public appearance is, well, I hope they buy my book, or I hope they sign up for my course, or or whatever the case may be. They are never going to do that if what you are doing is pitching. If what you are doing is not related to them and why they should care. And and that's right out of Simon Sinek's video. I love Simon Sinek's Start With Why. But why are you doing what you're doing and why should they care? Those are the things that you need to convey. And then along the way, if they are aligned with the things that you're saying, they'll lean in. They will try and learn more about it. They will follow.
1: They will pick up on the things that they need you know you have to as a speaker remove yourself from the equation you're actually the least important (laughs) factor in a presentation almost and I don't think I've ever said that but you really have to make it an audience-centric experience and ask yourself Truly ask yourself, take the emotions out of it. Take the dollar signs, take your spreadsheets out of it. Take all of that out of it and say, if I was in the audience, what would I want to hear? If I was in the audience, what would make me want to buy? What would make me want to know more? What would make me want to go order his book from Amazon? What would make me want to sign up for her $15,000 $15,000 coaching package or what have you. What would I need to hear? Unbiased, totally objective audience members sitting out there, and then create that kind of experience that you would want to have if you were sitting in that seat.
0: Absolutely. And you know what's great about that mindset is it's actually not limited to public speaking. As I alluded to, you know, it's in sales as well. Guess where else? That is an intricate part of the process, the job hunt. When you are interviewing, and I I tell this to the students I teach, uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Northeastern University, I've taught at Suffolk University. I tell this to students when they're preparing for interviews, it's not about you. Now that boggles their mind. How can it not be about me? It's a job interview for me. No, the job interview is about the job. You just happen to raise your hand and say, I think I can do that. But rather than talk about you, talk about the job and how you can get that done. Rather than talk about your sales pitch, talk about the problem and how you can help solve that. Rather than talk about you in speaking, talk about the things that the drew the audience to come into the the speaking event in the first place
1: because when you and i know this isn't a podcast about job interviewing however a job interview is a presentation so i want to talk Absolutely. a little bit more about that you have to think about you have to think about this whole process through the lens of a corporation or a company they exactly. have posted this position because they've got a problem and this position is going to solve it And so like you were saying, you have to go in there and you have to speak from the perspective of not these were my sales numbers and these were my accomplishments and this is what I was able to do as fill in the blank, the the job title. But this is how I can solve this problem for you. This is how I can answer that question. This is how I can work to fix this mystery That is what they're, I mean, really think about it. That's what they're looking to hear, whether it's a marketing position that they're trying to fill, a teaching position they're trying to fill, where they need a faculty member who's going to engage multiple generations in one classroom, where they need someone who has an incredible solution to, I don't know, figuring out outbound sales. I don't know. right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to show them how you can solve their problem. And the same thing goes for speakers on that stage. Absolutely. You've got to show up and immediately show them that you know how to solve their problem. They all have a problem. They, they're sitting in that audience because they all came in with some sort of a problem with the hopes that that person up there on the stage, on the microphone will get them closer to a solution. And to bring it full circle, the speaker
0: needs to speak to the um, talent bookers a little bit differently as well. They have certain needs. And while when you're speaking, you hope to convey X, Y, and Z, when you are approaching people that could possibly book you, it's a different X, Y, and Z. They have a different set of needs and you have to speak to those needs, not about you, about them and how you and your unique approach to this can help them solve the problems that they are solving for.
1: Rob, I'm in the middle of an interesting set of conversations with a client where the people in the audience are saying they want one thing the leadership is saying they really want me to deliver something and then those who manage the people in the audience they they directly manage them because you know there's that gap between oh, yeah. you know leadership and c suite and then the managers the managers are wanting something else and so we're having these conversations and i'm trying to find a common thread or overlap where all three can get what they want, where leadership is getting and seeing from the presentation what it wants. And it's a delicate dance and a delicate balance. And it's required more than one conversation. Typically, I have one conversation with the event contact. Maybe two, maybe two. Okay. And one of my big questions is, what do you want everyone to know or to be able to do? by the end of my presentation. And that tends to check all of the boxes. Sure. I get what the event contact wants. They want energy. They want excitement. They want actionable items. And then the audience tends the audience tends to want much of the same. But this has been an interesting, different and fun, I have to admit, uh opportunity where I'm I should think, yeah. Thinking about these three different audiences or three different, you know, yeah, we'll call it three different audiences. And right. like you said, it's a different conversation for the audience uh, than it is for the event uh contact or the event planner.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me that you have three distinct uh desires within one
1: organization. Well, I'm I will curious. say curious. Well, I will say there is there is overlap. It mm-hmm. they're not so distinctly different. It's uh, the audience is wanting things at a more of a micro level. Some very specific. The blocking and tackling. Yeah, right. Whereas leadership is looking from a strategic perspective of, you know, this, we need them to build on this. And then management is is looking at it from the lens of specific accounts that the audience is working with and what they think will be helpful. But I've got a plan, Rob. I'm, <laughs> I'm not worried, but it has been very interesting. I don't think I've had this kind of dynamic in planning for an event before, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I found the common thread to figure it out. And so now it's about using the right language. I think you said something to that effect earlier where it's it's about it's about having the right impact. It's not just talking and and just saying something, but then making sure you have the right impact and that they're learning and they're they're taking away, um, yeah, they're taking away the uh, and you're meeting your goal with them. but they sure. have real takeaways. You will have the opportunity to ask me a question in a little while. Right now, I want to know from you, what is a moment during a presentation that was incredibly memorable and it just has never left you?
0: One of the first opportunities I had to speak with, um, speak on a panel with my industry peers, Uh, I was fortunate enough, excuse me, fortunate enough to uh, go first with one of the questions and handled it fine. I, that, I, I was really happy with the answer. But then each of the panelists got questions and we got to the Q&A at the end. And at the q and I'll be honest, I was intimidated by those that I, I was sitting on stage with. Uh, oh my gosh, can you imagine? I, I'm kind of starstruck. Do I even belong here? The imposter syndrome just flailing. And lo and behold, the Q&A comes, audience member asks a question, and nobody else was prepared to answer it. It didn't seem to fit the speech they had prepared. I didn't prepare a speech. I just came here to teach from what I know and I answered from what I know. And it was authentic. It was sincere and it turns out it was helpful. And that's when I said, oh man, I belong here. Mm. Imposter syndrome be
1: damned. (laughs) I love that moment. When you had that epiphany. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What's your question for me? So Bridget,
0: I read that you are also an introvert. We don't come off like introverts, but I totally get it. Tell me a little bit about how it feels for you as an introvert after the presentation. What's your decompression process.
1: Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) the first part of your question, how does it feel? I was getting ready to say, Rob, you know how it (laughs) feels. I'm telling you, if you can get further on E than right at the E, that's where I am. Let me tell you, we have a vehicle that's a 24-gallon tank. I went to fill it up the other day, and I'm telling you, the car was on fumes. I was taking our son to baseball. And when we pulled up, my plan was to just drop him off, keep the motor running. Because, I i, I mean, the, the the tank is that empty. <laughs> right? I'm afraid that if I turn the motor off, it's not going to start back up for me to get to the gas station. So we pull up. And surprisingly, there's nobody else there from his team. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't want to drop you off. Like, I need at least one of your coaches here to drop you off. And um, I was like, well, let me just park the car and walk you over here. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, is that car going to crank up when I get back? Right. But it did. Right. So I go to the gas station. It's a 24 gallon tank. I think it took twenty four point like three something. it was just that empty okay so to answer your first question how do you feel I feel like my gas tank was filling the other day where I have nothing left to give because I leave it all on the stage and by the process for decompressing is like a true introvert just being alone so typically after a presentation especially those when I have to do them in person, well, I shouldn't say have to do them in person. When I get the honor and privilege of doing them in person, typically I'm leaving shortly thereafter and headed to an airport. So I'm getting in that Uber or whatever ride it is. And I'm not, I'm probably not on the phone, not even surfing social media or anything. I'm just trying to muster up the energy to get through TSA and then. (laughs) Even when I do a virtual presentation, I have a standing desk. And so I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand for a virtual presentation. That is a given. And when I'm done, I make sure I've blocked off my calendar. So there's nothing on it for probably a good hour. Sometimes I'll block off the entire day, but I make sure I have that time to just kind of Uh, recharge. I mean, it's almost like sitting down in a chair and just chilling out is almost akin to how you would put your your phone on the charger for the night. And I've just got to build that battery back up. But that's my process for decompressing. Oh, and if I'm traveling, I'll go get myself a margarita. uh, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) For sure. For sure. So yeah, that's my process. Time alone and a margarita.
0: (laughs) And who would have thought? (laughs) introverts can
1: actually do this and do it well yes absolutely what's your process for decompressing since you're also an introvert (laughs) i need to find a quiet space
0: uh often i've been doing these presentations at industry events and so on and, and there is no uh uber waiting for me it's the networking event after so Somewhere in between leaving the stage and the networking, I just need to find 10 minutes of quiet space somewhere to breathe. The adrenaline has left, and that can actually leave you with a a nauseous feeling. So I, I just find a way to relax. I try actually not to think about the presentation. Because I'll beat myself up over the, oh, I stumbled on this word or, or or meant to say that. Even though 99% of it went better than I could have hoped for, I'll beat myself up on that. So I try not to think of anything, talk to anyone, even just a quiet, dark space is ideal. Absent that, you know, you... you, you you buckle up you go out there you do the networking and you find that quiet space when you can
1: absolutely yeah sounds like we we have similar protocols when it comes to the decompression i well, like yes. your
0: thought about the um the standing desk though uh, i'm looking around here and thinking yeah i i can incorporate that
1: i thought you were about to say you like my idea about the margarita
0: <laughs> well most definitely <laughs> that's a given <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, one of my old hacks from back in the day before purchasing a standing desk, I would use, uh, matter of fact, I have it right here, a square waste paper basket from Target. Costs just a few bucks, and then I've got stuff in it, but I would turn it upside down and sit it on the desk and um, put books, stack books on top of it until I got the right height uh and so that's that's what i would use so this is like my 10 dollar hack uh it, if you, don't you reminded why, me
0: just... i have bought a convertible desk i've never once converted it and now it's so <laughs> covered in papers and <laughs> whatever i think everything would fall <laughs> apart if i did
1: <laughs> yeah it's i i absolutely love it but uh and a lot of times when i conduct calls i'll i'll stand up for just regular old calls not even webinars because there is uh there's a um, a science behind standing on your feet and actually being able to think on your feet. You are able to go between complex thoughts a lot more fluidly when you have both feet on the ground. So yes, you could sit in a chair and have both feet on the ground and theoretically and go between complex thoughts a little bit more easily. But you know, right now I'm sitting in a chair and the likelihood you're gonna plant both feet yeah. on the ground and stay right there in a seated position is very unlikely. So to stand and have both feet planted on the ground is a better better situation. But uh, because it's at the time of this recording, it's late in the day, and this is call number 5,000 for me today, I am definitely, (laughs) definitely seated. Rob, what else in closing do our listeners need to know to make sure they're getting up there, they're being impactful, and they're owning the microphone?
0: It's similar to what I teach in in social enablement. There are really three basic tenets. You have to be approachable. You have to be sociable. And you have to be generous. When you're up there owning the microphone, be approachable. Be that type of person that they want to get next to. Don't carry on airs and don't worry about perfection. Oh, is my tie on straight? Couldn't care less. Be sociable. Know the audience. Ideally, you're interacting with them before you even get on stage. You've established rapport with a few people. A little hack I learned. If you can find two or three people beforehand and then later find them in the audience, you've got a friendly. When you're speaking, they're nodding in agreement, which builds your confidence too. But whether you're able to do that or not, just be sociable, be genuine, and then be generous. And we talked about that earlier in terms of don't go up there expecting to pitch your wares. Don't go up there expecting to sell. Go up there and give them the information that you told them you were going to give them the information that they came to seek out. That's, that's what I would say. Those three steps.
1: Fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. Rob Durant. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. And thank you to the listeners. I am Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.